Faithfulness, faithfulness. Uh, I'm going to start with Galatians chapter 5. This is kind of our foundation for tonight. And it's familiar to you, I'm sure, if you've been saved for at least a year, you've probably at least read this. Uh, chapter 5, verse 22 of the book of Galatians says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self Control. Those are called the fruits of the Spirit. How do you know that you are walking in the Spirit? It's when you have the fruit of the Spirit. Amen, somebody. I know we're working, working all these things, but you know there's a difference. So we have love, we have joy, peace, long suffering, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We're talking about that tonight. Gentleness, self control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So uh, the, the writer here, uh, Paul, is talking to the church of Galatea and telling them, look, uh, there's some rumblings going on in your midst, but let me teach you something about the walk of the Spirit. You cannot say you walk in the Spirit unless you have the fruits of the Spirit at your disposal. They should be operating. They should be manifesting, all right? That's how you know you have a tree that's rooted deeply and it's producing this fruit. And then he goes on to say um, that, that you are Christ, that you've been, now you're, you're the Lord's and you've been crucified um, with him in the flesh and with his passions and desires. Now, that's a hard thing. So I'm going to talk about tonight about faithfulness and about how it, it crushes our passions and desires, what we want to do versus what God wants us to do. But there is good news. The two can come together. What we want to do and what God wants to do can come together, and it brings such unity in our lives. Jesus also said in Matthew 12, verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its tree bad, for a tree is known by its, come on, help me out, it's fruits. In other words, people are not going to know you by the things that you say. People are going to know you by the things that you produce. My Lord, that'll preach right there. I can stop and just go right there. Preach, preach. Because it's the truth. Amen. One of my desires is to live the life of Christ and not just to speak the life of Christ. And I know that I fail at that sometimes, and sometimes you do as well. But we're getting better. We're trying to crucify the passions, the desires of our flesh to walk like Christ and have the fruits of the Spirit so that we can attain what? We can, people can see our lives. They can see Christ in our lives. Again, people are fruit inspectors. It's, it's almost um, subconsciously. And they don't go by what you say. They go by what they see in your life, what they see, what are you producing in your life. Just touch your neighbor and say, what are you producing anyways? Come on, what are you actually producing? Amen. Don't judge them, though. Don't judge them too harshly. Just ask them and move on. Just ask. <laughs> the first revelation you need uh, tonight for our study is that God is faithful no matter what it looks like. So we talk about long battles here tonight, and that, that can I'll, t I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, as well, but it's because that's how the enemy turns that knob on us, turns it up all the way, say, well, God's not faithful. Because if God was faithful, you'd have had your answer, you know, two years ago, five years ago, seven months ago, whatever it has been. And I want us to look at this and investigate it because there's a faithfulness that God shows us and then there's a faithfulness that we're to have toward him and his will. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, 
Jesus Christ our Lord. I didn't give this to you, son, the Amplified Version, but let me read this. This is the Amplified Version. God of, of 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful, reliable, trustworthy, and therefore ever true to his promise, and he can be depended on always. By him, you were called into companionship and participation with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. His faithfulness connects us with Jesus, and we stay connected. But i got to read it again. He's faithful. He's reliable. He's trustworthy. He is therefore ever true to his promise, and he can be depended on. So I'm going to go back. I want to talk to you about long battles. Some people have, and that's real. That's a real thing. Let me make this statement. Time can be an enemy to your trust in God because the longer time goes, the more it puts pressure on your mind to snap out of faith, okay? The renewing of the mind is is because it's, it's by faith. You understand that that's what God's word is, but after time goes by and you don't, can I just teach a little bit tonight? We'll preach a little bit in a minute. But as time goes by, that, that the enemy begins to whisper in our ears and, and says it's not going to happen. It would have happened by now. Then discouragement comes in, and it breaks the connection with faith. And it breaks the connection with our mind. It's been renewed. And now we're starting to think, the battles in our mind, we're starting to think that God won't come through for me. He did come through for them But obviously something's wrong with me because he hasn't come through for me yet. So yes, time can be an enemy to your trust, your faith in God to perform the miracle or give you the answer or open the door or whatever it is that you're believing God for. Time can become an enemy. When it becomes an enemy, it's almost like fight or flight. You'll either flee from the call of God Flee from what he's asking you to do, whatever that might be, or you're going to fight your way and say, well, if God won't fight my battle, I'll fight my battle for me because I'm about right. And I see a lot of fighters in the room, so I'm assuming there's some people that probably fought ahead of God and you got yourself entangled in a battle with your big flapping mouth, come on, and you got into a war with somebody and God said, I told you to trust me. I'm preaching real good right now. I told you to trust me. You trusted you because time became your enemy and you didn't know that actually time was on your side. I I had it all lined up for you, but the pressure got on you. The enemy got involved and you started fighting your own battles for yourself. Next thing you know, you found yourself in a hornet's nest and you got problems and you might even get some legal problems. And some of y'all, I know who you are, you might have some jail problems. Because you can't control your temper. Or how about this? Time becoming an enemy. God says, wait. Wait. Don't just jump into any old relationship. You might need to wait a little bit. Amen. And so you got to wait. But I get lonely. But I, you know, for me, I get lonely. We're all adults in here, right? Right? I get a lot of things. I want to spend my time with somebody. I, I, want, I get jealous when I see other people. And so I want to jump ahead with what I feel God's saying for me to do. And here's the thing. It's not like we're not discerning creatures. Sometimes God will tell us who the person is. But maybe the time is just not right. 
Amen. And next thing you know, you're slipping up, you're, you're in sin, and, you know, and problems happen. Or you end up marrying out of time. You know, you can marry the right one and marry the person out of time. Now, you're going to have to work all that out as you go, but it, it's just hell for the first five years. And it could have been heaven. Because some of y'all need to incubate a little bit longer. Some of y'all just need to cook, bake just a little longer. Amen. And so, and then you'll, you'll turn out perfect and you'll be right and everything will be good. So be very careful. We know Abraham also was one who time became an enemy. And as a result of that, he, God said, you're going to have a son. It's going to come out of your loins and out of your wife's belly, out of her womb. And it didn't happen for almost 17 years. And so he, he decided that he was going to take matters in his own hands. And, and Sarai at the time decided that, that was okay. And he lay with the handmaiden and out came Ishmael. And without going to a long series about all that, uh, Ishmael, God did bless Ishmael. He did bless, the hand of God was upon him. And guess what? The hand of God is still upon Ishmael because we see it. You know who the Ishmael people are? They're the Arabs of the world. The most wealthy people on the planet are Arabs. Amen. And so, but watch, watch the disconnect between, watch, watch this, God's chosen people, which is the nation of Israel, which came out of Isaac, which was the promise that God said would happen, and because Abraham was impatient, he decides to step ahead of God and has Ishmael, and they've had war all their days for thousands of years. Don't create an Ishmael in your life because time became your enemy and you didn't trust God when God wanted you to have an Isaac in your life. Amen. Okay, God never expects us to do something he has not equipped us to do. That's why he gave us the fruit of faithfulness because by being faithful, we're incubating, we're getting prepared. God's preparing us and our faithfulness. That, that fruit is in us to equip us for what he's called us to do. So we want to be faithful, but sometimes out of fear of being taken advantage of, um, uh, it, it gets greater than anything else in us, and so we step out and do what we want to do rather than what God wants to do, and we don't allow other things to come into place. I don't want to be taken advantage of. I want to just do what I want to do. And so therefore we step out and we get more into selfishness, which we're supposed to, in the fruit of the Spirit, is self-control. All right, let me make this statement. Be, you've heard me say this, more than a dozen times with you. Be a finisher. Matter of fact, I think I had a whole series on that years ago. Be a finisher. If you start something, be faithful to complete it. I'm going to say that one more time. If you start something, be faithful to complete it. Even if the completion is to end what you began. But you don't just jerk out of something when you start something, especially when it comes to what God's asking you to do. Whatever it says do, you do it with everything you got, even when you don't understand. Uh, everybody say follow through. God's really big on follow through. I know my dad was really big on follow through when I was growing up. It was like, son, he taught me how to mow the lawn, okay? And so I went out, little kid. Out. Now, back in those days, we, we you know there was not... A lot of safety rules. No goggles, no helmets when you're riding bikes. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Ain't one kid in my neighborhood had a helmet on riding bikes. But bless God, my kids had helmets on. Praise God. I don't care if you look stupid. You are because we're, we're afraid of everything with our kids today. But when we were, grew up in the 70s, it's just whatever. And so they, sometimes they have a guard on the, on the, um, the lawnmower, but who cared, right? No big deal. And, uh, and so I was mowing lawns. I literally was mowing lawns, but the, the handle was up here. I mean, it should be here. That's how small I was. And my dad would taught me, he taught me, and here's how you mow the lawn. So I went down, and I did the mowing the lawn, and I did pretty good, you know, because when you're a kid, you're having fun. 
But the older I got, the more I wanted to hurry up. I wanted to hurry up, mow that lawn, right? So I go play with my friends, go hang out and do something else, right? I really wanted to do. So I get do the job and get out. My, my dad would call me, boy, come out here. And he'd say, all right, look at it. And he'd show me all the lines that I missed. You know how when, you're, when you do the box, you know how you do the box, and you try to go as far over as you possibly can so you can be done quicker as if it's going to be quicker, you know? And so you leave strands of grass here and there, right? No big deal, won't notice. Boy, look at all those strands of grass. That's not a lawn mode. You didn't finish the job. Get the lawnmower out and finish the job. So I had to get the lawnmower. Now he said, now you waited too long on it. You got to go rake the lawn. I had to go rake the lawn. Right, and then I said, "Now that was not, I'm all done." My dad said, "No, you're not done yet. Did you clean out? Did you clean off the mower? Had to spray the mower off underneath to get it all cleaned up before I could put it back. Make sure everything was back exactly the way it was found." Now, a lot of times you think that's abuse, but actually, that's teaching somebody. As a kid, when you start something, you complete the task all the way. It's not done till it's done. Follow through. God expects the same thing with us. He's called us to be finishers of our race. Amen. So whenever God, the race God's called us to, he says, I want you to complete it. You don't have to be first place, but I do expect you to finish the race. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 13, um, 7 uh, says this. Uh, this is talking about love, the love chapter. Love bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That word endure all things, those words mean without weakening. It doesn't weaken. Love never fails. But I like that, without weakening. Because sometimes, especially men, we think when we show love that it's a weak thing. But the truth is when we love our wives as Christ loved the church, or when we love our children by taking care of them, I said by taking care of them, you know, men, we're obligated to take care of our children. That's our job to do that. Um, and so uh, we love our, our neighbor as ourselves. That's sometimes tougher than anyone else because they're not blood, but there you go. Love the members in the body of Christ, one another, the Bible says. Amen. Love the pastor. I'm feeling the love. Had to force a little bit, but I got some. See, so that love actually strengthens me. And the Amplified Bible says that that love uh, never fails under all circumstances. It never fails. Aren't you glad that God never gives up on us, that he loves us so much that he says, look, I know you fell. I know that you made some mistakes. Get back up, but I want you to finish what you started. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will what? Will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The King James Version says, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is a faithful God. Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. The finisher. He starts and he stops. He starts and he finishes what he starts. Of our faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm so thankful that when I've been discouraged, the Holy Spirit did not give up on me. 
Even today, I was talking to the Lord. He got so tender before the Lord. You know, he just doesn't. If you got areas in your life where he's working on you, maybe it's anger. Uh, maybe it's whatever. I don't know what it might be. Whatever it is, I don't want to get all in your business. But the truth of the matter is you know what it is. And God works with you. He's working with you. And he encourages us to go on, encourages us to try again, encourages get back up. Don't be condemned. That's not my spirit. Don't get so negative. That's not who I am. Don't be so down on yourself. That's not my encouragement. I love you. You're going to make it. Press in. Press on. Tomorrow is a new day. That's how the Holy Spirit talks to us all the time. Always constantly wanting us to move forward because he doesn't want us to quit. How many times have you wanted to quit, but God wouldn't let you do it? Amen. You can talk to me about it. You, you could have told him no, but you didn't. Somehow, somewhere, you might have quit for a couple of days. But you got back up. In your heart, you really never quit. But you, you told, I'm done with this. You know how you are. Got an attitude. Then two days later, I'm so sorry, Jesus. I'm wrong. You know, his presence comes and, you know, everything's good again. So, uh, yeah, it, it, there's always a temptation to quit. Uh, I've told the story before. It just comes to me now. But how many ever heard of Tommy Barnett? Tommy Barnett has a great ministry in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Remember his son, Matthew Barnett. Matthew's been here. How many of you heard of the Dream Center? That's Matthew Barnett. That's Tommy Barnett's church in, in L.A. And I've been out there to preach. I've had the, the, the joy to be able to go out there and minister a couple times. And, um, and so, uh, anyways, uh, Tommy told the story. It was, a, it was a bunch of pastors. It was a couple thousand of us, maybe more, 4,000, I don't know, whatever his church holds. And, um, and so he was telling the story about quitting. And how many God's people want to quit. And he said, you know, pastor, let me tell you something. And the truth is, you want to quit. Now, you may not want to admit it, but you want to quit just as much as the people want to quit. He said, let me tell a little story about myself. He said, I get wrapped up in ministry and things are going on, the pressures of life and all the stuff, decisions you got to make and the people don't like you half the time and write your bad email or over now it's social media, you know, and, or, or, or whatever. There's good and there's bad. There's good and there's bad. And sometimes you just get so like, the, I got to pay the bills. We got to take care of this ministry and that place. And so he said, he's got a little mountain that they have on the, on the uh, if you don't think about Phoenix, they got these large hills that look like mountains, and it's behind his church. And I think it's, they call it Prayer Mountain. And he said, every Monday morning, he says, I'm done. So I tell the Lord, I'm ready to retire. I, I'm done. I, I can't take the pressure no more. And he says, he said, I went, go and get myself a Starbucks. I got my Bible. And I go behind the church, and I climb up into Prayer Mountain, and I begin to pray. He says, you know, about 20 minutes into it, he said, I can't tell you if it's the caffeine or if it's the Holy Ghost. But after telling God I want to quit, he said, all of a sudden I start feeling better. I go, maybe I'll quit next week. I'm doing okay this week, right? And he said, you know what? I got to the place where I understood, you know, I have the luxury of saying I can quit. Knowing in my heart I will never quit, but I have that luxury. And he said, but you know, I got to this place in my life, and you want you to hear this. This isn't to condemn anybody, but think about this. He said, at least I have something to quit. Most people never do much with their life to even quit anything, but at least I, whether it's your children you bore out of your body or dad you helped to conceive, your kids, your whatever it might be, at least you have something to quit. Some people have nothing at all, and even though you know you never will, I'm just saying we can even have it better than that. The Bible says in Proverbs 24.10, it says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. But the bottom line is my temptation is to faint 
or to quit or to stop pressing forward or quit putting pressure on it. And, you know, the older you get, the more you don't want to put pressure on it. I've noticed that. Yeah, I don't really want to put the pressure on it because last time I put pressure on it, ouch, it hurt last time. But you go, but I have no choice because to maintain means I'm going backwards. Got to always reach for what God's placed in your life and be faithful with what you do have. One thing about this church I will say, we're faithful with what God gives us. And we have been. Had a prophet in here and said, you are, he told me, you are the boy, the little boy with the two fish and the five loaves. You take what you have and you ask God to bless it and God will multiply it. And so that's, that's, been, our, that's been our trait. I like to say we got millions in the bank. Right now we don't. But every time, whatever we have, we say, God, if you can use this, we'll do what we can with it. And God takes it and he blesses it. And just the fact that you're putting one foot in front of the other, that shows strength. Just the fact that you got up today, tonight and came to the house of God, that shows really, really good strength. That really does. Faithfulness always shows strength. So you were faithful to come to the house of God. You'll be faithful to show up on Sunday. You go on your vacations through the summer, but you're always faithful to get back to the house of God. Let's face it. Many times we feel like what we're going through is just too much to handle, and then we want to give up. But look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. There it is again. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able? But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Nothing is like, so when you start feeling, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed, say, no, Lord, I thank you that you're making the way of escape. And you'll notice that pressure begin to be released in your life. Why? I can't count on me, but I know I can count on him. God is faithful that with the temptation, he'll make the way of escape. So what is faithfulness? In the Webster Dictionary, which, you know, Webster was a Christian, and God used him to define these words. This is 1828. This is the original dictionary. Faithful means firm in adherence to the truth and to the duties of a relationship with God. Firmly adhering to duty. Hmm. Loyal. Constant in the performance of duties or services. Exact in attending to what an authority has given you to do. In other words, your boss. Individuals should be faithful to their word. Government should be faithful to their constitutions. And people should be faithful to a marriage partner. Constant, not fickle, as a faithful lover or friend. True and worthy of belief. That's a powerful definition. He threw some Bible in there too, praise God. Because that's what it comes from, the word faithful. All right? So um, that's what it means to be faithful. I tell you what I do when I pray. I remind myself, I don't necessarily say the words faithfulness all the time, but I remind myself of what Jesus did for me on the cross. For me, that opens my heart. That's the, that's the beginning point of my prayer. It opens my heart to say you didn't have to do it, but you did it. And because of that, I now have access to my Father. I want to thank you for what? Your faithfulness to go to the cross on my behalf. Amen. And I, I was thinking about this because we just had our dream team meeting, and we are raising up leaders in, the, in this church. We have 150 leaders. We're going to have another 150 soon. 
when God leads us to have more, we'll have more. You'll be asked to be called upon if you'd like to serve in that capacity. But I believe everybody should be a leader in some capacity. I really believe that. And um, leaders are hard to come by these days because of a simple lack of faithfulness. It's the, it's the number one thing that anybody who's in charge of any group or organization looks for in people is faithfulness. Are they faithful? Are they at their job? Are they on time? Do they do what they say they're going to do? Are they a man or woman of their word? Um, you know, do they, they steal company time? Are they caught have, having longer breaks than they should or too many breaks than they need or are supposed to have? All that, and why? Because it breaks down to integrity. When you're faithful, it shows your integrity. When I'm integrous, it means what? Character and integrity are very similar. And when you put it together, it's just simply saying, I will do the right thing even when nobody looks. Amen. And so that comes down to my faith. I'm faithful, right? I'm faithful to my wife. I made a vow to my wife. I'm faithful to her. And that means I, I have to show character with my faithfulness. I show character and integrity saying I'm going to do the right thing even though her eyes are not on me 24-7. Amen. Look what it says in Psalms 12.1. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. So David's saying, I need to find some men that are true, that are faithful, and that are godly. In today's society, we lack loyalty, <laughs> big time. We lack commitment. We lack integrity. We, we lack faithfulness. Um, not to harp on this, but patriotism is almost all gone. I mean, we still have it, thank God, and maybe it will come on the rise. But my point is, it's hard to find these days. People that are patriotic about their country and duty. Government, oh my goodness, has lacked integrity. It's hard to be loyal to anything that lacks integrity. It's very difficult. There's no person in this room that voted for anybody that they fully trusted. Nobody did that. Why? We've been burned so many times before that we chose what we felt God was leading us to. And for some of y'all, and I never did this. I've never done this, but some of y'all here, I'm going to choose the lesser of two evils. I thank God you did vote, praise God, because I think it's your right, you should vote. But my point is, is it's very difficult to trust people in authority because they've let us down so many times. Remember the big IRS scandal that happened? What, what happened to that person? Not one thing happened to that person, and it was a scandal, right? You think, well, wh where are the repercussions? And then in this country, not to harp on this either, but it's like if you have enough money, you can just about get yourself out of anything. But my point is, it's not that the person who has the money, I don't say they're guilty, it just means they had enough money to show that they were innocent. But the innocent man who has no money doesn't have a chance in court. Does that make sense to you? So we see a lot of things. It's like you can't trust this system. You can't trust that system. But one system we can, and that is the word of God, the kingdom of God, and God alone. Man will let you down, but God will never, ever let you down. So how can we become faithful? Got to move fast. How do we become faithful? The first step is to understand the importance of it and then being determined to develop that fruit, the fruit of faithfulness in your life, okay? It's not a feeling, it's a decision. It's not a feeling, it's a decision. I choose to be faithful. I'm faithful to my spouse, I'm faithful to my children, I'm faithful at my job, I'm faithful to my church, I'm faithful to my responsibilities, I'm faithful to my health, I'm faithful to my uh, earnings, whatever it might be, I'm faithful to it, right? What, what, what tastes better? What tastes better? 
vine ripened fruit or fruit picked and ripe, ripened on its own? Vine ripened fruit tastes better, right? Fruit tastes better the longer it stays on the vine. Now, they can, they've engineered fruit now, like tomatoes, and they have this for years, where it can ripen on the shelf and stay longer. You know, a tomato's not supposed to last for a month. Amen. It's not, it's been engineered to do that, but that's not, and that's why they don't taste that good. But if you go out there in the field with a little salt shaker, come on, somebody talk to me. Oh, and they're just hanging on that vine, just snapperoo, and oh boy, they're good. That's the best. You can't get better than that. Why? Because the fruit now comes to full maturity. So I stay connected to Jesus. Come on. He's the vine where the branches, it produces the fruit. That means that I'm going to mature and my fruit of my life is going to come to full maturity. By the way, fruit that has been faithful to be ripened on the vine always gets picked at the exact right time. The farmer knows there's a window that I got to get this product off the vine and on the shelf so people can enjoy it at, at, its, at its premium level, at its optimum level, right, of taste. Uh, and, and nutrients. So, so just know that you'll be picked at the right time. Don't try to put yourself out there too soon and say, well, you know, I'm a little green right now. I'm going to go out and get out there and do my thing. You're going to taste green. Now we'll fry you up. We'll put some bread in on you, fry you up and eat you. But that may not have been God's best for you. Come on, somebody. Amen. Numbers 12, 7. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, and I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He's showing a distinction between the regular prophets and the prophet Moses. And the reason why prophet Moses had a distinction is because he was faithful to God. In all his ways, it pleased the Lord. And that pleasing the Lord says, I'm not going to show him riddles. I'm not going to speak to him in riddles, rhymes, dark sayings of old. I'm not going to come to him in any way but plainly. I'm going to speak to him face to face. Moses even remained faithful when Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister, turned against him. When they judged him and rebelled against his authority. And what does he do? You know the story, and, and leprosy came as a result of that between the two of those, the, the, her, his, um, his brother and sister. And he went to God and said, Lord, you got to touch him. you got to heal him. And God did. He healed him, right? He was faithful to them, though they were not faithful to him. And that's part of the call of God in your life. We're not given an excuse to quit, Okay? Just because there are people that have been unfaithful to us or people uh, that we've been faithful to have judged us doesn't mean we're supposed to quit them. That is a temptation, but we have to say, wait a second, God hasn't released them from me yet. I got to stay here. I got to do what God's called me to do. Um, 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, if we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful. Okay? I, that's all I know. Even when I'm not, he is. So I tap into that. So when my temptation is to quit because people aren't showing me that same respect, i got to tap into his faithfulness because i got faithlessness in my heart right now. I don't want to keep going the way I'm going. I want to change a venue, change a venue, change a venue, Lord. Change the people, Lord, right? I've been blessed with a great church, but there are times. 
There are times, believe it or not, that not everybody's too pleasant. Amen. So we say, well, I got to still be faithful to them, not take it personal. Joseph was faithful with the dreams God gave him, and he became an interpreter of dreams, even when nobody would interpret the dream for him. And they judged him harshly, sent him to prison. But when he's in prison, he's still operating within his gift. He's faithful in his gifting, and he does what? He interprets the dreams of the prisoners. Those prisoners happened to have the ear of the king when they were released. And one day came, and they said, I know a man. Pharaoh had a dream. And, and they said, Pharaoh, there's a man in prison. Send for him. And he came and told Pharaoh his dream. And that, that was the starting point of Joseph's life, taking off in a brand new, beautiful direction. Right? He was faithful. Samson was not faithful. But in his not faithfulness, he cries out to God who is faithful and God gives him another chance. His hair grew back again, and he was able to destroy more Philistines with his life, at the end of his life, than all the Philistines put together in his entire ministry. Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was very faithful to Elijah. We studied the scriptures about Elijah. Elijah wasn't the easiest guy to get along with. He had some problems. He wasn't a perfect prophet. The Bible talks about him being fearful. Talks about him being depressed to the point of taking his own life and wanting to die on a regular basis. Bible talks about him being a negative person, filled with self-pity. Not an easy guy to get along with. Elijah was not always like us, but the point I'm making is that he had some problems. Elijah's problems did not stop Elisha from being faithful to serve him as his master. He was there to make sure he was taking care of all of his whims, all of his whams. Hands were washed, all of that. That was his job. Elisha was called to serve Elijah. And Elisha got a double portion of what Elijah had because he was there to be faithful to him. This might, might be a tough pill to swallow for some people, but it's a biblical thing. It's accurate. You will never fully be promoted by God until you're faithful to serve someone or somewhere, or somewhere else. In other words, wherever God calls you, he wants you to serve, and whoever he calls you to, he wants you to serve. That's just the way it is. Not that you're a servant like you think in your head, but that you say, I'm, I'm faithful to serve that person because that's the call that's on them. And I know that what's in them I need in my life or the thing that they're called to, I serve that because that's a part of my life. And if I'm faithful to that, God promised me something. He said, iron sharpens iron. So sometimes sparks may fly. You may not always agree with the leader that you're called to, but if you're called to them, you say, I can't tell you, church, how many times I've overlooked things that people have said to me, not about me, but to me that I looked up to. I got offended, but I got over the offense quickly. And then I learned not to get offended at all after a while and just know that's just the devil because the devil don't want me to stay connected because if I get offended, I disconnect. If I disconnect, I, I disconnect from the anointing. So God will even allow the testing to take place between the leadership to see what you're able to do, amen, or not do, Right? So you got to understand that that's all a part of the process. Iron sharpens iron, right? It's, it's friction that causes you to get sharper. Some people don't wait for God's promotion. They promote themselves. And if you're the Elijah uh, in, 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 in your world, how, how should we treat someone who trusts us, right? How do we treat those people? If they're serving in our ministry, how are we supposed to treat those people? So you got to think about that. Well, with faithfulness back, with kindness, with joy, all the fruits of the Spirit come back to them. 
We should not betray that trust. We should be faithful to them. When it's time to leave, if you're Elisha, and it's time to leave your Elijah, there's a right way to do something and there's a wrong way to do something. Most people pick up and leave in the midnight hour. They leave at night when no one's looking. And they say, hey, we're so-and-so. They loved me. They were a part of this ministry. They said, this church is incredible. But when it got tough or when they didn't get what they thought they should have gotten, they pick up and they go. Like a gypsy in the night, they're gone. Bam, gone. Right? So be careful. There's a right way to do something. There's a wrong way to do something. When Danny Gokey left his place, it was the right way. He came in the front door. He left out the front door. He got blessed. Another couple, and there's many of them, but just people come to mind. Anivad and Clarissa, you may not know them. They were part of our children's ministry. They, they, we sat down. We talked about it. When it's time to go, there was, there was confirmation in the spirit, and there was. They came in the front door. They left out the front door. And guess what? Now he's starting his ministry, and he's coming back in the front door. He's going to stand in his pulpit. He's going to preach a message. I said, we're going to be the first church to have you because we want you your son of the house. Man, he's like honored, blown away. That's how you treat your sons and your daughters. They do it the right way. They did it the right way. Amen. The way you leave is how you enter. I'll say that in closing. The way you leave is how you enter. If you leave with bitterness in your heart, you'll enter into a new phase with bitterness in your heart. If you leave judgmental, you'll come into a new situation uh, judgmental. So when you come to the church, and people do come to the church, and we love you all, we're so grateful you're here, you come in. Whatever happened bad in the other church, you need to get that before you and Jesus and get it on the, on the blood, or go back and talk to the pastor if he did you wrong, write him a letter. Say, I forgive you. I let it go. I'm moving on with my life. I love you. If there's anything I can do for you, God bless you. Well, you don't know how he hurt me. I don't care how he hurt you. I've been hurt too. You, you take the highway, not the low way, right? Always take the high road and say, I love you. I bless you. Thank you for what you did for me. Amen. Because how you leave is how you'll enter. And I've had people over the years come to me and say, Pastor, I'm not a part of your church. That's great. Praise God. That's awesome. And when they say part of your church, that already makes me nervous because I don't want to be a part of your church. It should be a part of our church. It's our church. Our church. And, um, and they say, yeah, I left that other place because that pastor, oh, man, I tried to get an appointment with him, and he didn't, he, when they finally did get around to have me in, and he, was, he would tell me this and tell me he had no compassion. I thought, oh, my God, we got problems here. And you know how many times I've been right about it? Every single time because the principle's the same. If that pastor has a problem in your mind, I'm the next pastor who's going to have a problem in your mind. What you didn't resolve there, you're not going to resolve here. Unless you finally say, enough is enough. I forgive and let it go, and I'm ready. People say, I've been church hurt, church hurt. And I'm not making light of what people say. Please don't misunderstand me. Um, there, is, there is some truth to that. But you know, I've been doing this a little while, like three decades. So I know a little bit about church and about church hurt people. I know there are some people that say their church hurt just so they don't go back to church anymore. It's not because they really got hurt. It's because they don't, they don't want to get their tithe and offering no more. They don't want to come to the house of God and be faithful no more. They don't want to come and have to clean the church. Come on, y'all. Serve in a ministry. Yeah, you're not talking right to me right now, but trust me, as you do this a long time, that is the truth. But then there are some that really legitimately have been hurt and burned 
and I know those people, and they're in this church, and they're healed, or they're on their way being healed. And you know how I know? Because they don't put anybody in a bad light. When it's ever come up, I've almost had to ask a few questions to get something out of them. They're not putting anybody on blast. They just want to move on with their life. Now, that's somebody who wants to be healed. Somebody say amen.